You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. So, Roger, today we're going to be discussing our Fortieth film. Now, understand the confusion. This is episode 41, but we are talking about the Fortieth film. That is because when we launched Two Geeks and Marketing podcast nearly a year ago, in and around that time, Disney Plus had arrived in kind of UK channels. So we wanted to kind of almost make a celebration of Disney Plus and look at their marketing. So the first film started in episode two. And today we are talking about a very special film, I do believe so. But I thought it would be fun, Roger, if you don't mind for viewers and listeners, but also for you and I, to recap on all 39 films leading mm-hmm. to today's 40th. So... I might even ask Tim to put some lovely music behind. As I mentioned, the first <laughs> 10, we start with Bond 25, then Lord of the Rings, Back to the Future, Wonder Woman 84, True Romance, Tenet. We had Mamma Mia, Flash Gordon, Mulan, and On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And then we went into Toy Story, The Goonies, Bill and Ted Face the Music, The Terminator, The Martian, Die Hard, Mission Impossible Fallout, The Lost Boys, A Quiet Place, and Speed. Wow, then we've done to The Mandalorian Season 2, Gremlins, Rocky, Ghostbusters, Mad Max Fury Road, The Blair Witch Project, Blade Runner 2049, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Us. And the final ten is The Matrix, Triangle, Highlander, The Woman in Black, Blade, The Game... Nightcrawler, A Few Good Men, and American Werewolf in London. And this week we are going to be talking about... Well, actually, maybe I'll give you a little bit of background as to this film before I actually tell you what it is. Now, Pascal, I'm a big fan of Stephen King, the writer, the horror Mm. writer, perhaps the world's most prolific horror writer. And pretty much everything that he's committed to paper has now been filmed. There's a few uh, there's a few films uh, books that he's um, written, The Long Walk being one of them that has yet to be committed to film, but not many of them. But I have to say, I have to say that whilst I think his books are on the whole pretty phenomenal, there aren't that many film adaptations of Stephen King books which I think are actually any good. Obviously, The Shining is one that stands out as being absolutely excellent with Jack Nicholson in it. To my mind, the only other one which absolutely nails it is today's film, and that is The Mist. I have to agree. I have to agree. Like you, I love the book I love, which is why The Mist is working so well. How he studies people and how they behave and react to extreme circumstances and challenges and danger. But The Mist, if you put it alongside all the other adaptation, just really stands out so much. Absolutely right, and and it's a it is a horror horror film. There's some pretty well designed monsters in it, um, cr- created by computer graphics and other other um, trickery, uh, very convincingly, I think. But 
ultimately, it's one of those films where the monsters are almost incidental to the actual plot, because the real monsters are actually the people, aren't they? And that's often the the theme that you see Stephen King explore, taking a small town somewhere lost in some part of America and how the people, sometimes driven by their own religious belief or superstition, just turn on each other. Yeah. Now, I, I again, as I say, Stephen King, one of my favourite authors. Now, The Mist appeared, and I should have checked this, I think The Mist appeared in a uh, an anthology book, which might have been That's called correct. Skeleton Crew. Was it called Skeleton Crew or Different Seasons? One of the two. And it, Stephen King wrote a very long introduction to that book explaining where he got some of his ideas from and I always remember this because I I read the introduction to the book before I read any of the stories and he said that he'd gone with his wife to do the weekly grocery shopping and like a lot of blokes he's not particularly into grocery shopping he just (laughs) obviously goes along to help his wife and he was stood looking down at all these boxes of cereal on both sides of the aisle. And I think he said, I just had this flash, this moment of um, vision in my head of a pterodactyl crashing into those shelves of um, cereal packets. And he said it was that moment, that bang, that light bulb, where he saw that pterodactyl that actually led him to write The Mist. Um, And just goes to show, doesn't it, where the ideas come from? I mean, I am... A, a, a daydreamer, Denise will tell you that uh, as soon as something doesn't interest me, I'm off thinking about the next <laughs> podcast, whatever. But I must confess, my mind would not go that far, which is why Stephen <laughs> King is as successful as he is. But uh, I, I think it's back to that, which is taking normal people. I mean, the the ensemble cast that was pulled together represents all ages, all kind of um, you know uh, professions and so on. And they are put together into a normal environment, a supermarket. But then what happens, particularly outside, but also inside, becomes extraordinary. And we study, literally, how one by one, there's a breakdown of the group, the cohesion, how they turn on each other, and so on. And it is, back to the time, 2007, a longish film, two hours. Most film would have been a fraction shorter. But then mm. again, Stephen King's books are so long because he spends time with the character and I am so pleased that we shouldn't be surprised that the director Frank Darabont spent time with the characters. I mean, you really get to understand who they are, what makes them tick, and how they're going to behave. So, 2007, that meant that for all of us, we had the pleasure of watching the Shawshank Redemption. That's 94. Then the Green Mile in 1999. Both of them novels and books from Stephen King. And then if the name Frank Darabont has become more popular and famous, it's because of his work on The Walking Dead 2010 and 11 for season one and two. Yeah, and of course, if you watch The Mist, one of the things you will notice is that the uh, uh, quite a lot of actors who went on to appear in The Walking Dead are actually in The Mist. Laurie Holden, Jeffrey Dillman, yeah. Melissa McBride, etc. Uh, and it's lovely to see them in that in that early uh, in, in their early incarnations. But it is a big cast, uh, and and as you say, that they're, they're they're trapped inside this supermarket. Uh, this mist descends because of some uh, experiment that's gone wrong at a local um, research laboratory and horrible monsters start moving around in the mist and and, Mm. and causing mayhem. But the film really is about how 
the people who are trapped in that supermarket they form alliances uh, they try to decide whether to go outside whether to fight back or to and, and i think one of the one of the women um almost becomes like a a, a preacher and and tries right, to convince yeah. tries to convince some of them that this is all god's will and they're you know there's this really quite horrible scene where she convinces the people in the supermarket to sacrifice one of the children almost to to god to get god to stop doing what he's doing and you know it it somebody described this as a bit like lord of the flies but set in a supermarket and 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 it's a really scary thought as to how the things that bind society together could quite easily fall down in a situation like this and when i watch a film like this i sit there and think god this really could happen and, and indeed, you could argue that Frank Darabont explored the, the, the same theme in A Walking Dead, yeah. where literally saying, well, the, the undead are nowhere near as bad as the, the living, particularly when you move on to the, the next seasons with yes. things like, as you call the, the governor or you know the characters that were really quite nasty. But yes. back to your point, there's a, there's a lovely um, line from the, the song. So for me, the reason why I wanted to see the movie when it came out was two things. And it was a Stephen King uh, adaptation, and I was hopeful that it would be a good one, despite the fact that I'd been disappointed many times. But for me, the lead actor, Thomas Jane, I just really like his work. But also people like William Sadler was in the film. Mm. Now, William Sadler oddly played the bad guy in a movie we reviewed many months ago in Die Hard. Yeah. And what was surprising about The Mist is that there were some characters or actors you knew and you had some expectation by the kind of characters that we play. And every time you got surprised, so you had, for example, Toby Jones, yes. who's playing the kind of, um, you know, uh, petite and not particularly threatening um, store manager, but proves to be almost a hero of the piece yeah. who is, um, you know, very good with, with a gun and very authoritative. So you had all these big surprises. But talking surprises, and I'm mindful that through the research, I've discovered that people have not watched The Mist or are discovering The Mist today. Um, we can't talk about the ending beyond saying, that's what a horror film feels like when you have an ending like the one that Frank Darabont and his and his team pulled together. Yeah, I, I was going to talk about the ending, but you're right, Pascal. We really can't give too much of it away, other than the fact that it could well be one of the most bleak endings to any <laughs> film I've ever, ever seen. And this is interesting because the actual novella of this um, film, the, the actual written version of The Mist... It, the film follows the, the, the book almost paragraph by paragraph, except the ending. Now, the ending we see in the film is not the ending that we see in the Stephen King book. Mm. And I, I don't know why Darabont messed around with that. I think it's perhaps that the book ended on a sort of, they get out of the supermarket, they get into a car, they drive off into the mist, and it sort of ends on a cliffhanger. Do they make it? Don't they make mm. it? And we never know, I guess, because he never wrote a sequel to it, obviously. And maybe Frank Darabont thought, I can't really just leave it like that, so I have to come up with something genuinely shocking to f finish this film on. Before we move on to marketing, I want then to build on that point just now, because I think what you're talking about is making decisions, creative decisions, yes. you know, directional decisions. So that was decision number one. Let's put together an ending that is obviously new, that got obviously the thumbs up from Stephen King because it suits, you know, the horror genre of this film. Next decision was around the ensemble cast and, and so on, but also 
2007 was the beginning of using digital film as opposed to print and physical film. Mm -hmm. And when Frank Darabont did the test, he basically declared, this is looking far too clinical. I need something a lot more gritty. So mm -hmm. we're going to stick to using normal physical prints. The next thing that he did was, and I think was also for speed of production, because this was produced in a space of a couple of months, if that. Yeah. And when you watch the film, Roger, you'll agree it's a complex story. There's a lot going on, not to mention the special effects. So he actually... Um, put together a crew that was from TV production background where everything is very, very, very fast. Um, the small uh, handheld cameras are being used as opposed to things on the tripod and so on. So we now know through obviously many documentaries and interviews that have been done by the MIST that the team behind the shield were very much instrumental in capturing the sound and images of the MIST. Yes, yes. And Again, they, they, when they re released it on DVD, they put a black and white version of the film. Now, I have mixed feelings about that. Um, I actually thought it was a pretty genius idea because there's been so many um, you know, famous black and white horror films. Some of the early zombie films were in black and white. I'm not sure. I've, I, I, found, I find myself torn. I think some scenes in it benefit from it being in black and white, but perhaps some of the scenes with the special effects and the monsters don't quite cut it in black and white as they do in colour. No, I would agree. Uh... I, I love black and white. I think there's something purely magical about it. And it worked really well with the actors with the, when the tension was building or when mm. actually it all went pretty crazy, as you said, with that lady that took on the role of the, the preacher. But the moment you had the monsters, although I will say to people who have not seen the movie, you don't see them a lot. It's really cleverly mm. done. It's really quite scary, the way in which they're revealed. But each time they came in, then you were taken back to, oh, this is 2007, and the black and white kind of magic moment just disappeared so mm. i'm pleased they did it. and we know that frank darabont vision was a black and white to pay homage to people like george romero and many others but um i think you know the color version is certainly better definitely so what about the marketing then all right well let's take it from the top if you don't mind you know roger and five mm. years and listeners it makes sense to look at it chronologically so what they did from the marketing point of view, which we don't do enough, all of us as content marketer, is to start talking about the film way, way before. Way before. Before it started. So if you think that filming starting in spring 2007, in the autumn, if not summer of 2006, the press releases were out announcing the the kind of the the conversion of from book to, to screen, talking about Frank Darabont, talking about Thomas Jane, even early stage of negotiation so that that really gives a, a lead time for audiences to, to get excited and i think that's an important first lesson and then lots of interviews mm. on tv and in the print media and, and again they they focused in on this the story is less about the monsters outside than it is about the monsters inside you know the people that you're stuck with your friends and neighbors breaking under the strain that was quite an intriguing concept that they were putting out. And I think that even people who hadn't read the book would have been sucked in by that intriguing premise. Because ultimately the mist, like many other films like of that style, it's about survival. It's about thinking, well, what would I do in that situation? So that's why I remember being at the cinema, watching on the big screen, and you're really taken by it. But I think also it's about sticking to the core message. 
and not mm. deviating, which I think another lesson we can take away. So then you move into uh, being in production. And back to 2007, Frank Darabont, which is really at heart an entrepreneur, did something very, very new, which is not new to their 2021 sensitivities. But 2007, he recorded video diaries, right? which at the time he called Webisode, which is quite charming. But 2007, Roger, the interweb, as I call it, you know, um, sometimes, wasn't is not what it is today. So we a year barely into YouTube, we only a handful of years into Facebook. So what they did was they recorded those webisodes, but they sent the files as is really the dot yeah. mov files to bloggers and film critics and and you name it. So everybody got a little, a tiny little video file that they could then add and publish onto their own website and blog. Absolutely, I mean. It, ahead of its time. It was mm. genius, wasn't it? Now, of course, it's what everybody does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then there was clips shown at San Diego Comic-Con and the bloggers and YouTubers went absolutely crazy about it. And what is interesting about the clips that they've shown, so this was not trailers at all, Roger. These were actually extract from mm. a uh, edited version but mm -hmm. the clips were only showing the people. So back to mm -hmm. the message that they shared during the interview stage a few months earlier, it's all about the people stuck with each other and turning each other. And that's what people saw. So they didn't see the monsters. They didn't see really why there was a mist and hence keeping the intrigue going. Absolutely right. And uh, I, I think that was a great way to do it. You know, you're saving something up to be surprised about when you actually get to the cinema. Even even the people who've read the book, you know, and I said that Stephen King had this image of a pterodactyl going down the, um, you know, when I read the actual book and he describes the monsters in the book, my interpretation of the monsters in my head will be different to yours. Mm. Uh, so you still have that element of surprise when you get to the cinema because they may not be the way you envisage them to turn out to be, but... That was all part of the of the the pleasure of the horror, as, as they say. Then we move on to the early screenings, which is usually you know part of the, uh, the media pack when you publish a film. So they managed to show a first cut at the film festival show East. Now we are into the autumn of two thousand and seven, a month before the premiere in New York. And what was interesting, when obviously Frank Darabont showed this screening, almost like a VIP treatment, that's when the organizers surprised him with a audience awards for the Shawshank <laughs> Redemption and the Green Mile. And I was thinking, I'm sure that was meant uh, well, you know, but when you're the director and you just be knee deep in creating the mist, and then people said to you, oh, by the way, um, literally, you know, all those years ago, you made those two amazing films, and here's an award for it. It must be a bit <laughs> bizarre. I mean, I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll take it well, but I was thinking that must have been a bit odd to be on that stage at that time. Yeah. <laughs> Frank Darabont. You know, did you know that Frank Darabont had the rights to make the film of The Long Walk, which is the Stephen King book, which is one of the, the ones that hasn't been filmed yet? Right. And I always thought he is absolutely ideal to make that film mm. but unfortunately let the uh, apparently let the uh, rights lapse so whether that film will ever get made i don't know but for a while i thought that that was going to be frank darabont's next big film mm. 
might come back. And then yeah. obviously come November 2007, we are into the premiere in New York and then the release of the film. At the time, which I thought was very interesting, they had three different trailers. And I wonder whether it was for different audiences or different time of the day, depending on who's watching on TV and at the cinema. They were all cut differently. And if you are intrigued and interested, I would definitely encourage you to get hold of the DVD or Blu-ray um, edition of The Mist because they are there. You'll see for yourself this very interesting effort. And they all three had different strap lines as well, Roger. So again, they were going after different target audiences with their different trailers, weren't mm. they? Yeah. So the, the first trailer, there was uh, the one that I think people are aware of, which is um, there is nothing out there, nothing in the mist, and then, but what if you're wrong? Yeah. <laughs> which I think plays to your fear of, you know, stepping into the dark or into the mist. The um, second trailer, looking at the notes, what if the world you know disappeared before your eyes? So Absolutely. Intriguing. And then it came without warning and transformed a town. I quite like that one, actually. Yeah. It's very, they're all very cryptical. Mm. They're all very intriguing. And again, you know, hint at the scares and the horror to come. And here we are, literally 14 years later, still talking about it. People are still writing uh, about it. They are doing YouTube retrospectives about the film because I think it's just simply a story well told, told about people that we can relate to but generally done by people who love making films and their passion started from the marketing, which I think is not always the case, actually, you know, when you and I think about all the different films that we watch in our lives. Yeah, and normally what happens when we do these um, reviews is that I end up watching the film a couple of nights or even the night before we actually do the review. Funnily enough, my wife and I watched The Mist not that long ago. So right. this time I, I didn't need to watch it again to prepare. But what I am going to do, having had this conversation, is I'm going to go and read the book again because I haven't nice. read the book version for a very long time. Excellent. Well, I was very much looking forward to talking about The Mist with you, Roger. And uh, this conversation has not disappointed in any ways. Just remind you that the tagline for the film, which I think says it all to close this segment, belief divides them, mystery surrounds them, but yes. fear changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. This was episode 41. Until the next one, please go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Fintoni and he was Roger Edwards. Take care for now. Thank you for listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. For more information about our film marketing consultancy and training services, go to filmmarketingacademy.com and book your free discovery video call. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow your host on social media for more updates.